Hello and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Gareth Tallent. Oh, and me, Chris Kitchener. In this podcast, we explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And I apologise, Chris, and to everybody listening that I probably sound a bit off this week, but I am just recovering from a bout of COVID, if you remember what that is. And so, yeah, I'm a bit snuffly, so I apologise for the way I sound. Well, you'll be ple- you'll be pleased to know while we're not mask wearing, there is a good degree of separation here. So often while I'll be sitting next to uh, Gareth while we do this, there is now a large wall between us, as I think we've mentioned, we're neighbours. So I mean, it feels very 2020 doing Zoom calls and talking about COVID. But yeah, that's where we are. Um, so <laughs> today, Chris, this is a subject you wanted to talk about, I believe because you were asked uh, an inane question by your son. Well, yeah, you've stolen my punchline here, but that's all right, because I'm sure I'll come up with more punchlines. So today I wanted us to play around with the world of the murky world of ethics, dilemmas, and pushing people in front of non-existent trams. Well, yeah, so I was thinking about this. We're going to talk about the trolley problem later. I was thinking, I don't think anyone in the UK knows what a trolley is, because that's about as American as it comes. But anyway, going back to your point, my my big thing was going to be, we're very lucky that enough people listen to the podcast that we do genuinely get people that send in questions and ideas and thoughts and things like this. We've Obviously, we've even had some of them on the podcast as well. But this week, we actually had some feedback from someone a bit close to him, and that is my son. So my son is 16 years old. I have to be honest, I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but he knows I talk about it a lot at home. But he... He said, I've got an interesting question for you that maybe that would trigger some interesting thoughts. And he said, imagine this, Dad. He said, you're driving in a military truck and in the back, there's a bunch of soldiers and you're on this narrow cliff road. We're on one side. It's a sheer cliff uh, or sort of a cliff going up. And on the other side, it's a cliff going down and 300 feet below. There's a bunch of rocks. So you're driving along. And all of a sudden, a young family out berry picking or something innocent, whatever the most innocent thing you can imagine is, steps out in front of the truck. What do you do? You could plow on through the family. Or, because that sounds terrible, young kids, little kids, with little bunny ears. This is really bad. Or you could wrench the wheel drive the truck off. And the last thing before you hit the ground to the screams of everyone in the truck was at least we saved the family. So there's your dilemma. We could save this family of a couple of people with young kids or, or, or not would go through. And he, he threw this in because obviously he was feeling particularly aggrieved about something I'd done at home or something. <laughs> um, he said, and just to finish it off for you, dad, the truck with the soldiers in the back, is actually on its way on a mission to take out a terrible terrorist. And even worse, it is time sensitive because this is the only time you know where that terrorist is. What do you do? Now, before we spend 50 minutes arguing whether you 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 kill the family, kill the people, we'll, maybe we'll get back to that later. 
But it was interesting, this idea of dilemmas. And while this is patently a, a quite an extreme, unusual and unlikely example, actually, this idea of dilemmas and how do you deal with things, we've we've tackled this in, in quite a few different ways. I promised Gareth before we came on the call that we'd talk about VUCA again and we'd talk about Mr. Kneffin. And I think a lot of this is true, which is often we we try to reduce the complexity and we say, you know, if you do this thing, then this other thing will happen. And we 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 plan for reasonably straightforward activities and outcomes. But actually, if we think about it, there's actually there are dilemmas wherever you go as a human being and particularly in business. There are plenty of dilemmas. And I'm imagining that there's probably an equal amount of dilemmas in the military. So just to get us started on this, I was thinking about, I don't think I've ever really thought about dilemmas uh, uh, other than a sort of a, a, an amusing question. And we will come to the trolley car in a bit for those of you who are familiar with it. And I thought it's interesting. I think there are probably more dilemmas than I had imagined. And the way I sort of categorized them just to sort of explore this was there are positive dilemmas and I'll, 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 I'll take business for the moment. Who do you hire? That's a great thing. That's a great opportunity. But I've got some really good candidates here. I've got some money. Where do I invest that money? I could build over here. I could build over there. Some really good positive dilemmas. There's still dilemmas, though. Then maybe there are neutral dilemmas. You know, nothing terrible is going to happen. Which of which of my team should I spend time coaching? Uh, I've got a business strategy which is the right business strategy? And then maybe there are negative ones. This is this is one we, ne we actually, I was going to say we never talk about, funny enough, this week where I work, we were talking about this concept anyway, which is which products should you kill? Which should you stop? Which areas should you stop investment in? And by the way, this is actually probably a really good dilemma. And maybe we should dig into it a little bit later because it's, arguably easier to say where you want to do something new it's really hard to stop things it's it's actually way harder to stop things because there is the sunk cost fallacy but part of it is just like this is so entrenched we have to do it so anyway i'm going to pause there because i thought it turns out this idea from my son about dilemmas there might be something there so you know gareth i've i've thought a bit about business dilemmas from the military perspective, what are the kind of dilemmas you guys come across? I'm really taken aback almost by the idea of positive and mutual dilemmas because I don't think I've ever thought about decisions in, in that way. And a, a dilemma for me has always been a decision that you have to make where there is two or more choices and both of the outcomes are difficult and probably going to result in, in something bad happening or a negative outcome. So it's always been in that negative dilemma space. Dilemmas is something we talk about a lot. The, the trolley car example that you brought up at the very beginning, whilst somewhat cliched and trite in the sort of narrative description, actually codifies very, very well a dilemma that militaries face in every operation they ever do because what you're once you break it back you strip strip out the the dialogue what you're effectively asking is 
you're asking two things. You're asking, are the lives of soldiers more important under your command, more important than civilians? And you're asking, is the mission more important than the lives of civilians? Both of those questions are questions that we have to ask ourselves over and over again every time we plan an activity and whilst we're then out on operations. And I'm cautious about bringing it up, but currently there is a war, there are several wars ongoing at the moment, but there is a war in Gaza that is incredibly emotive because there is the perception of an overbearing force that is resulting in the deaths of, of civilians. And I'm I'm not on this podcast going to, to make judgments about the rights and wrongs, but when planning operations, you have to think about what the consequences are of your actions. And, and, and of course, you also have to think about what the consequences are of not carrying out your actions. And sometimes we have to make very, very difficult decisions about what is quite horribly termed collateral damage, but that is effectively the tolerance of a of a force, of a government, for civilians being killed or very severely injured in the course of operation. And there are times where it is absolutely right and proper to have a tolerance level because by not acting, worse things are going to happen. So it's, it's a really difficult challenge. The other aspect of thinking about dilemmas is what you also want to do, because conflict is a competition, is to inflict dilemmas upon your adversary. So you want to create situations where you're not giving them problems. And we've talked about, you, you've already mentioned the Kinefin framework, and we've talked about sort of problems and challenges in terms of simple, obvious problems, complicated problems, complex problems, and chaotic problems. Uh, but when I've talked about that framework and problems, I've always talked about how you resolve that problem. So you find the solution. A problem has an answer. A dilemma has more than one answer, and neither of them are good. Notwithstanding, you've mentioned neutral and, and positive dilemmas. We can come back to that. But this idea of throwing problems at your adversary is a bit like saying, solve this puzzle, work your way out of this challenge. If you throw a dilemma at your adversary, you're saying you have to make a choice now and both of them are going to result in you in being in an unfavourable position. There you go. I, I talked about positive, neutral, negative, and we should come back to that because I don't, as I was sort of thinking about this today, these were, I sort of thought, that's interesting, it's different. I don't know whether there's any value in that. It might... Uh, the, the reason why I sort of bring that up is, do you make different decisions or do you deal with it in a different way or approach it? But but I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But go, going, yeah, we'll back, back to that. going back to that point about throwing out dilemmas for other people, I'm going to imagine that from a military perspective, that is a, a, a valid is the wrong word, but a real tactic. I want to give you something you deal with. I don't think I've ever heard in my business career a business say we're going to give a competitor a dilemma. That's so, that's so interesting that it's never no one's ever brought that up as a strategy to say we are going to do a thing 
and either answer is going to be bad and they'll be paralyzed debating which of the bad answers they have to pick. That's a really interesting, as it were, aggressive strategy to deal with competition. It's because there aren't enough artillery delivered anti-tank mines in Silicon Valley. Is that what it is? You are you are now going to have to explain that military reference for non-military listeners. So you're now going to have to talk about the strategy of our, what it is, why you do it, and why it's a dilemma. Otherwise, it's just a passing military comment <laughs> that half our audience will nod sagely and say, mm, God of war, artillery, and everyone else will go, dinner with me. Come on, artillery dropped mines. Artillery delivered anti-tank mines. And, and the reason I say anti-tank mines is because there is a thing called the Ottawa Accords, which basically says that anti-personnel mines are illegal, and the UK has signed up to that. Other nations haven't, but we we definitely don't use anti-personnel mines. But the idea of delivering a minefield using artillery, so you fire your mines from a howitzer to drop those mines onto a piece of ground, means that you can deliver a minefield not in front of your adversary, but on top of them. So they don't have to wander into your minefield. They are inside your minefield because you've just dropped it on them. And a minefield is a great, a great, simple example of creating a dilemma for your adversary, whether it's artillery delivered or not, because once you've discovered you're in a minefield, you have a choice. And neither choice is easy or good. If you're in a minefield, it's almost certain that your adversary knows you're there because they've put the minefield there and they've put it for there for a reason. And most people, when they put minefields out, overwatch them with, with other forces. So they are watching you. And you have a choice. You can either continue forward to try and complete your mission, but now you have to continue forward tentatively and slowly because you've got to try and find the mines in front of you or withdraw out of that minefield backwards. If you continue forward, you might then still be able to go on to achieve your mission, but the chances are the closer you get to your adversary, the more likely they are to just start attacking you. If you withdraw, you are effectively feeding, you know, you're, you're withdrawing from doing your mission or certainly delaying that uh, and therefore potentially giving the enemy an advantage because why were you doing that mission in the first place? So it creates a dilemma for a commander to decide whether to push on or or to withdraw back. So minefields are, are a nightmare for local commanders. One thing that occurs to me is part of that is that part of the dilemma is making sure people know that the minefield is there. So people going, they've just thrown a bunch of artillery and there were little bomblets out of it. Oh my God, we're in a is actually more effective than there was an artillery attack. We're all fine. Carry on. In, in, in some Absolutely. Sense. That's exactly it. If, you know, if you've just suffered an artillery attack, you don't have to make a decision. If you've survived it, then you know, luck is on your side. Now you carry on. There's no decision there. It might slow you down. It might trick some of your capability. Once, once the artillery barrage stops, and you find there's a minefield, you are now in a in a dilemma because you now have a choice. So I can't off the top of my head think of 
uh, an example in the business world where you could throw a dilemma at your competitor. But I'm pretty sure there will be situations where... Well, I, I, I think there is. I mean, I've not thought about this, but hypothetically, if they launch a product, you launch a product, at the, you launch the same thing at the same time as a distraction. Now, it's not really gonna... a dilemma, is it? You, you're not. Nah. The idea is you you have to you have to give them a choice, neither of which is is good. I, I suppose there's 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 probably quite nuanced answers around you know forcing a a competitor to offering offering a, offering a customer half the price of the competitor. Yeah, but 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 I mean, what's interesting is rather than us trying to prove it, I'm actually fascinated by the idea. We've never, I don't hear people talk about that. I've never heard yeah. you know, these great business gurus talk about that. Maybe there's nothing there. I mean, part of today actually is a. This is one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this podcast. Is not all these things are thought out. And by the way, I, I wanted to make a point earlier. If anyone's wondering. Anytime Gareth says Kneffin, we have to drink something. So we've both got <laughs> grain alcohol next to us. And every time he says the word Kneffin, that's twice, by the way, we have to take a drink. Just in case you were wondering, because right. we're not sponsored by Kneffin, but we do talk about it an awful lot. So, um, let, let, I mean, let's let's go back a, a couple of steps. I threw out this idea of positive, neutral, and negative. And I, as you could possibly hear in my voice, I don't know if it's even vaguely interesting. I did wonder, do we do we perhaps approach these in different ways if depending on what they are, positive or negative? And does that even matter? I don't know. What do you reckon? Who do I hire? That's a great yeah. thing. I'm excited. Which product do I kill? I'm not excited. Does that drive different decisions? So I think from a from a decision making point of view, and I'm I am definitely just sort of spitballing here, but I would say no. From a decision-making point of view, you still have to think about, you know, what do I know? What don't I know? What are the consequences of these decisions? Who do I need to include in the group to, to make better decisions? How does it link to my strategy, et cetera, et cetera? All the things we've talked about when we've talked about decision-making before. From a using dilemmas position, in, in terms of using creating conditions that are dilemmas for others for adversaries and competitors then i think that distinction does matter because you're, you're certainly not going to create a dilemma you know that's positive for your competitors yeah yeah so i, I think it probably doesn't matter if you if you are looking at it from the the perspective of how do you solve these problems how do you how do you make decisions when when the choices are difficult and and they can be you know, equally negative results, both bad, how do I judge it? Or they could be both good, how do I judge it? I've got two excellent candidates. Both are going to bring a huge amount of value to the team, but they've got very different CVs. They both bring very different skills. They're both strong in different areas, but they're both people I want to hire, but I can only hire one. That's a real challenge. The, the only... The only thing I would say about the difference maybe is as we talk about it is I wonder whether there is a tendency for one to be instinctive and for another to be more thoughtful. Which product are we going to kill? Which is a very, by the way, in, in the world of software, 
everyone's great at building something. And then when you say, I want to stop investing in that, that becomes really hard because there's a revenue stream attached to it or because a hundred customers are using it and we can't tell hundred customers it's going. So when you talk about stopping something, you go into this mode where everybody starts to slow down, think carefully. We have to convince people we have to be rigorous. Maybe that's the word. Yeah. But in a sense for some of the positive ones, who should we hire? Well, I'll have a half an hour conversation with three people and I'll pick one. I wonder whether there's that, maybe that risk, which is, the only thing worth saying, and we should move on from this, but the only thing worth saying is we always have to be thoughtful about being equally rigorous in any of these dilemmas, good or bad. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And actually, I think there is definitely merit in it because we are, again, we succumb to our heuristics when it comes to judging positive things versus judging negative things. So we are built to or we have evolved i should probably say to effectively offload negative results from our you know personal baggage so if things go wrong we we like to be able to blame the system the the external factors luck if things go well and there's positive results we like to be able to put that down to our internal factors that was our good decision making that was a that was my skill and my talent. So, well, bad decisions, it's bad luck. Good decisions, what a great guy. Yeah. So I, I suspect there is an element of if the if the outcome is going to be positive either way, I'm going to worry less about weighing it up. I think I think that's a really good point. It's something I've never really thought about or considered before. Well, if I'm, the gonna, I'm going to be negative, I'm going to sweat about it. I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to need to analyse that problem. I'm going to I'm going to back out of my positive and negative view and I'm going to try another one. Again, I don't know whether this is interesting, which is fast and slow dilemmas. By the way, that sounds a lot more, you know, business <laughs> book type, but fast and slow dilemmas, which is to my point, when you are positively moving forward, you're going fast, you want to make quick decisions. That's a fast dilemma. I have to make a quick decision. Yeah. Everyone loves that. People are like, we need to move quickly, which is really odd, by the way, that phrase, we need to move quickly. Do you mean quickly or do you mean with urgency or do you mean with haste? These are not all the same things. You could make a bad decision quickly. Do we cheer and celebrate or do you mean a the fastest good decision? Anyway, that's a slightly thing. But anyway, there's fast decisions and then there's these slow decisions. And I I, I wonder whether it relates to this when it's positive there's this sort of thing driving you forward there's no bad outcome here let's just get it done and move on and when there's a, a negative outcome it becomes a slow dilemma because you're much more aware of the negative negative things the next thing that sort of tickled me as i thought about this because i've i've not heard people talk about this much before what makes a dilemma and i i scribbled a few things down but to be frank you've you've covered some of those so the first one is a dilemma is when there are multiple options, all of which are either good. Hey, there's four good people in front of me. I kind of can't lose when I hire one of them or four bad decisions. I do not have the investment to be able to keep all of these product lines alive. One of them has to go away. So there isn't 
there isn't the obvious answer. They're all good yeah. or all bad. That was the first one. The next one, because I did promise a bit of VUCA in here, was uncertainty about the outcome. By definition, if you know the results, if you can predict the results, I'm going to put a pound in the machine and I'm going to get my soft drink of choice. Yeah. The dilemma is more about which of the nice soft drinks do I want. If the dilemma is if I put the money in, I might get a drink, I might not. That's a that's more problematic. So uncertainty about the outcome, that now starts to be more dilemma. And we're into sort of the world of VUCA there. Yeah. Um, again, Kneffin, complexity versus complicated. In a complicated world, I would argue, please see previous point, you can... If I turn the handle in this way at this time, this is what the outcome will be there or thereabouts. Complexity, I don't, I can't predict what's going to happen. You know, I, like I, you if you can now. have complicated dilemmas where you can absolutely, with a level of certainty, work out what the consequences are going to be for either option, but both options still create really bad consequences and therefore it's still difficult to work out what to do so yeah i i wonder about the validity of that so i think you can i think a lot of dilemmas are absolutely wrapped in that uncertainty and and they involve risk they're certainly the hardest ones they're certainly the hardest ones i think that that that's very fair there was a couple of other things as well that that struck me which are sort of different dimensions on this dilemma as well and that is which ones have a personal impact. Human beings, you know, uh, either this car gets smashed or that car gets smashed. I don't, you know, a car's going to get smashed. Which one? Less interesting. This person gets injured or that person gets injured or that person no longer has a job. Yeah. Well, now, all of a sudden, I think that changes the way we think about things as well. Yeah, um, so I think that's, that's where you're... That's a very specific type of dilemma, isn't it? That's a moral dilemma where you don't know how, which person to injure and that's the choice you're given because injuring people is morally bad and therefore how do you make that decision? So that's, And I think there's, a, there's an interesting point there because we can get confused between what is a a test of integrity versus what is a moral dilemma. And I think they're two different things. So yeah. a, a test of integrity is is when objectively there is a right and wrong answer and subjectively you struggle because the incentives make it a more difficult challenge. So for example, perhaps there's a there's a deadline, there's some work that needs doing but I don't want to do that work. The right answer, there's, you know, there's doing the right thing and then there's doing what I want to do. And at the moment, they're not aligned. So I have a, a decision I need to make and I'm finding it difficult. That's a test of integrity. That's not a dilemma. Because actually, on the face of it, that's a really simple thing to answer. You're just now succumbing to you know, your short-termism versus or, or whatever. Whereas I think a moral dilemma... The I'm answer. working this weekend, or should I spend time with my family? There's a moral dilemma for There's you. a moral just, dilemma. Just to be because... clear, definitely he said shaking his head or yeah. nodding his head, not one that I suffer from on a regular basis. 
Oh, that's a really good one, actually, because I was thinking about trolley carts and, you know, killing people. Well, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, yeah, that is a moral dilemma because I bet we all have an instinctive, I know what the right answer is, and I bet a lot of us have different a different answer in our head, and that's doing the work because the work needs to be done. You know, there's a moral imperative there. I work for the organisation. They pay me every month. This is a thing I need to do. I morally it's right to do i owe it to my family to spend time with them and and that's complicated of course because there is probably a personal added layer to that in that i don't want to work at the weekend i want to spend time with my family i would enjoy that more will i feel guilty for enjoying that more because i should be working or or you get to this really strange sort of perverse position where you're like I would rather work because I don't want the stress on Monday morning of knowing that I've got all this stuff piled up. So whilst the right answer on the face of it is I should be spending time with my family, deep down I want to go and get the work done because I don't want to have that future stress. And you can see how this becomes... Oh, completely. Well, actually, and and, and just just because there may be people listening that are nodding and there's one other version of that, which is I am a senior person and therefore... I need to show that I am, I need to deliver more work than other people might do. And the way for me to do that is work at the weekend. There you go. Well, look at this. We let's stop for a second and and take a quick break. I was going to talk about the, the ethical and moral dilemmas of the trolley car, but you know what? We found one, which is actually much more real when certainly when you get to a certain level of seniority, that really becomes a thing. All right. Well, on that bombshell, that we found something more ethically troubling than the trolley car experiment. Uh, we'll see you right after this break. Uh, welcome back. We are going to have a quick chat about something which even worse i know our wives are sometimes listeners of this podcast and so we have just ratcheted up the possible what's the right word i was going to say danger but there is there is high stakes for us getting this moral right. hazard moral hazard is the right word i frequently should work at the weekend which in itself is a really interesting phrase i should work at the weekend that's probably a weird thing yep. that I think I should work at the weekend. I should work at the weekend. And actually I often do. I always think about the, we're talking about experiments, the marshmallow experiment. You can have one marshmallow now, or if you wait two hours, you'll get two marshmallows. And the whole point is, can you put off happiness and thus get a better example. So when I'm doing really well on a Saturday morning, I'll get a couple of hours working. And exactly as you say, either it's to give me a head start on the weekend or get those things done that otherwise I'm never going to get done. And by the way, this weekend, we're recording this on a Friday evening, is no different. There are three or four things that I should do and want to do this weekend. But I also feel bad because my family don't get to see me perhaps as much as they would like because I'm pretty focused. Yeah. What should I do, Dr. Tennant? <laughs> well, it, 
it's fascinating that literally just before coming in to record this, I was standing in the kitchen with my wife talking about the fact that we both work too hard. We both don't spend enough time with each other, with our children. We're stressed. We're constantly having to meet deadlines. We're constantly talking about all the things we'd like to be doing, but not finding the time to do them. And then... Can I just check? Was this just before you said, I'm going off to record a podcast? Well, yeah, I I said, you know, (laughs) but but I can't drop anything. Everything I do is important. Everything, it pays the bills, et cetera, et cetera, all of the normal things. By the way, I've got to go and record a podcast with Chris. I'll I'll be an hour, I'll see you later. That doesn't pay any bills. It's, It's a really difficult challenge. And I think it's a really interesting one because no one's ever going to be pulling levers on tracks to let trolley carts hit multiple bodies or fat people or what, whatever the scenario is. Whereas I think a lot of people face this day to day. And, and I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. I know there's, I'm, I'm being pulled in multiple directions. There are negative consequences to both. You know, if I decided to spend more time with my family, I would end up either disappointing clients disappointing people i work with or potentially making and more likely making other people in teams work harder and therefore spend less time with their families and i know that the people i work with work just as hard and are stressed and have families and want to not work at the weekend just as much as me so this episode isn't talking about trolley car this is actually talking about these real world dilemmas I think there's some really interesting things we think about this, which is, okay, why do we work as hard as we do? And I'm, I, when I say we, I mean, frankly, probably all the people who are listening to this have similar challenges, whatever work of life you're in. There's an interesting statement that says, well, I do this because I have to pay the bills. You know, I've got to pay the mortgage. There's your, if you need to fall back on the incontrovertible statement is most people i have to pay the bills the kids go to school i've got to pay for their clothes all this kind of stuff and then you think well that's that's true that's that's very true but you could choose to live in a if you've got a mortgage a smaller house you could make your mortgage smaller you could not buy that new shirt but the thing about this is a dilemma is that we also sometimes lie to ourselves. Lie maybe is too strong a word, but like if you came to me and said, this is a thought experiment, should you work the weekend or not? I bet you would come up with, if it was me you were talking about, some really clear criteria, some ways to measure this, to dispassionately decide, should you do this? But then when it comes to us, I know the feeling, that it almost goes back to this fast and slow dilemmas. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not as rigorous as I would tell someone else to be in yeah. my position. Yeah. I, and I don't know why that is. I mean, it's ridiculous. Here's you and I, which is a big part of our life is making the right decisions, being the leader, all those good things. And yet here we are talking about, frankly, this ridiculously simple thing. Should we spend more time with our families or should we give up some of that time for work? And I don't think either of us have got a good answer on that. Why no, is that? So there's, there's a military example of this, which I'm reminded of, which was a long, a long time ago when I was a junior officer and there were duties that needed to be done at weekends. And 
for a period of time, I had to decide which junior officers were doing the duty. So there was a list of potential candidates and I, and I would take a calendar and you know assign weekends to people. And there were some weekends that were more difficult than others, for example, over national holidays or during the summer. So people would quite often try and you know, volunteer for when they would do duties so they could not have to do it over those periods. And, and as the person organising the plot, I also had to put myself onto that list and do a fair amount of duties. And people would come to you and say, well, I can't do this weekend because I've got this. Or I, and, and there'd be points where you, you, you aren't looking for volunteers anymore. You're going to tell somebody they have to do it because nobody's going to fill these gaps. And the question then becomes, you know, how much of this do I take on and how much do I issue out to other people? And it's not as simple as, well, there's, let's say, six people. And so every six weekends, yeah, the same person should be doing it because they have their own lives, they have their own things going on, there's reasons why they can't. There's work commitments as well. So in the military, a lot, a lot of the time you're working over weekends, you go away on exercises and stuff. So it's never as simple, and it always comes down to, well, who's going to do this pinpoint weekend? And you have the authority to literally... Declare what's true. Yeah, order somebody to do it. And they are, you are empowered to legally order them to do it and they have to do it. But then there's that nagging sense of your head of do the right thing. And so more often than not, you end up taking it on yourself. And so by being empowered to make these decisions, you end up for some reason having this moral sense of duty that, you know, when when sacrifices need to be made, I should be, I should be, you know, doing it first. I think that is similar to this this dilemma here. Yeah. Because yes, you're right. The, the easy answer is I've got to pay the bills. But the reality is the work needs to get done. Or maybe it doesn't, but that's a whole different discussion. The work needs to get done. Clients are going to need the results. You know, there are pressing deadlines, whatever. And And the reality is we know that we work as part of larger teams. And if we don't, say. somebody else or others in the team are going to have to pick up well, that. Well, th there's, I mean, th this is, uh, as we were talking, I was thinking about the work I want to do this weekend. If I'm able to do this work and that improves an activity I'm going to do next week, the, the better job I do, the materially more positive impact it will have on my team. So this is not just a simple whether I do the work or I don't do the work. This is a, if I don't do the work, I perhaps am risking the most positive outcome for my team and that matters to me. So yeah. it, it, well, I mean, and we're, what's fascinating as we poke through this is there's, I think there are a couple of sort of strings to pull on this. When, when it is about me, that's one kind of dilemma. But when it's about the impact on somebody else, it changes the dimension. And actually, I think it changes the algorithm and the outcome you come with. So, yeah. you know, I can choose to do this. And if I don't, I will have less X. Well, you know, my decision is my decision. I can live with it. 
if I don't do this thing, somebody else will have less X. And these are the people I am responsible for. All of a sudden now, now the algorithm has changed again when notionally it was the same same kind of question. Yeah. I, I think there's another aspect of this as well, which is when you talked earlier about the dilemmas needing some level of complexity and uncertainty and ambiguity, and I'm not going to say the word brave. I can't um, I can't drink anymore. When you're talking about work, because very few of us these days work in factories making widgets, there isn't a metric from which you can say, you know, your productivity is X. You need to do, you need to make more widgets. And therefore, I've got to catch up at the weekend because I've only made 47 and I said I was going to make 50. It doesn't work like that. A lot of the work that you and I do involves having conversations with people, understanding their situations. It involves reading emails to understand what people mean. It involves doing background research to make sure that we're informed and ready. We did a whole episode on creating meetings that don't waste time. I've got meetings that start on Monday morning. And one of the main conclusions of that episode was if you want to have meetings that don't waste time you've got to plan them you've got to really think about what you want to get out of them who needs to be there you've got to plan them you've got to go in there knowing what you're going to do so i can't turn up on monday morning at 8 30 turn on the laptop start everything up and go well i didn't do it because it got to friday and i hadn't finished so i'm just going to wing it because i know i'm not just wasting my time i'm wasting other people's time there's a whole lot, oh, and even if the meeting goes well, there's a whole load of research I haven't done. So the answers I give to people are not going to be as well informed. So there's lots of intangible things that I think build up to make you feel like you're doing the right or wrong thing. This is why these become moral dilemmas. But I, I think we should move on from, from this because firstly, we're not going to come up with the right answer. The, the right answer is, you know, we should all be diligent and work hard. And uh, achieve, and I, but we also I, should all have healthy lifestyles where we engage with our families. Agreed. How we balance but, that is the ongoing challenge. Agreed. But I think uh, with these kinds of topics where we don't have a framework or a a, a message to deliver, I think this says, and, and th this is, you know, this is my opinion, so it, it might not count for much, which is, but it's thinking about it that really matters. You know, yes. just the, the fact that you and I have sat down and talked about this tonight moves me forward just a little bit more when I think about these dilemmas. It's, it's I I see lots of people who who like to do and they're instinctive. And that's fine. And 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 I certainly don't want to stop them doing that. But I, I find it really valuable to explore some of these ideas, even if they don't give you a simple answer. At least your sort of brain has been wired to be a bit more thoughtful and a bit more thought, sort of think about these. Yeah, I we, think that's very true. I, should, we, should we go on to the trolley, though? Because I know we both want to play the trolley game in, in some form or other. Yes. I would also like to, at some point, bring it back to some of the more tangible serious kind of work-based dilemmas because i want to i want to explore the things that don't seem like dilemmas objectively but absolutely are subjectively like 
what's the difference between a whistleblower and somebody who's breaching confidence? Um, well, if, freedom, freedom fighter terrorist. I mean, if you go Absolutely. for the same thing. You know, and I, I think there's, there's dilemmas that objectively are difficult to answer, you know, trolley problems or whatever. And then there are things that don't look like dilemmas. They look like uh, tests of integrity. So it's very easy to say, you know, well, of course, enabling a whistleblower is the right thing to do. But it's also very, very, you know, because we need accountability and you know integrity and credibility but then it's also very easy to say following the rules is the right thing to do because we need accountability integrity and credibility but what happens when you need to break the rules to be a whistleblower so i'd like to get into that at some point but should we take a break for a minute and just get into some fun yeah yeah yeah. let's just so so for (laughs) those of you have not have not heard of this before so these are known as as you've heard us say multiple times now trolley problems philippa Foot, I think, was the first person to come up with these thought experiments. And in, in English terms, a trolley is an electric tram. It's a it's a thing on wheels that runs down a road somewhere. That's not interesting. So, but the trolley problems are a series of thought experiments around ethics and psychology. And, and usually there are a thousand variations, but they involve ethical dilemmas, fundamentally, whether to sacrifice one person to save a larger number. And by the way, anyone going, well, that doesn't sound very hard. Hold on, it gets harder. And so it usually begins with a scenario in which there's a runaway tram or trolley bus or whatever they call it. And it's on on course to collide and kill a number of people. And oddly, the number seems to be traditionally five. I don't know what five is. And it's it's the optimum number of people you don't want to kill. But, and here's the great news, a driver or bystander can intervene and divert the trolley or tram to kill just one person on a different track. So they can pull a lever, pull a lever, divert the train down a different path. Yeah. And yeah. and as I say, we'll, we'll, we'll come and play the game in a second. I mean, it's a bit pointless because we both know the game. But um, by the way, there's loads of versions of this. So the, the yeah. trolley is the example. But in a sense... The example we gave of should you work at the weekend is kind of pretty close. Do you offend your family? Do you risk your family or do you risk your work? There's a it's not five people dying, but there's something similar here. So the most basic version is known as the bystander at the switch or just a switch. And this is Philippa Foote's one. So there's a runaway trolley barreling down the railway tracks ahead on the tracks. There are five people tied up and unable to move. First of all, by the way, Philippus should be asking who is tying people to tracks. That never comes out in this problem. I think that's a bit of a miss, but there you go. The trolley is headed straight for them. You are standing some distance off in the train yard, but right next to a lever. And if you pull this lever, the trolley will switch to a different set of tracks. Hooray! However, you notice there is one person on the side track and they are, they've got earphones on and they're blindfolded for some bizarre reason. And you have two and only two options. Obviously, people get clever and say, oh, well, I'd do something different. But do nothing, in which case the trolley will kill the five people on the main track. Or you pull the lever, diverting the trolley onto the side track where it just kills one person. Just to sort of ground ourselves here, Gareth. One or five? Who are you going to kill? You murderer. Yeah. By the so, way, murderer. 
So this is this is effectively testing whether you are a deontological person or a consequentialist, because you're effectively saying by doing nothing, you are not involved. So you haven't murdered people. By doing something, you have murdered a person. So what you're effectively asking is, is it okay to murder somebody to save five people or is it okay to do nothing knowing five people are going to die? I would, I think, pull the lever in that situation. I think most people probably I would. think most people would. Because and, and when, when you talk about this in terms of both, both outcomes are wrong, clearly, yes, but there is an objective calculation you can make and you can say, I don't know these people, so I'm going to value them all the same. Five people is greater than one person. This is five times greater, therefore still a terrible result, but only one family is now bereaved, only one life is lost. So that's a long way of saying I'm going to do what most people would do. Yeah, and I and and if anyone's going, this isn't a very difficult problem. This is more the control to kind of sucker people in. So actually, Gareth, you, you sort of you started to delve on the you can do nothing and hold your hands up and say you know inshallah it was the will of the being or you can do something there's an element there here's yeah. here's here's another version of this and as i say we're only going to do a couple of these but there are a lot so gareth says it is okay to kill one person to save five i think that's a good summary of where you where you landed right kill one person say yeah. five excellent then have i got the, i know how you're going to answer this one okay a surgeon sees a healthy person walking into the hospital that's interesting healthy he has five terminally ill patients who could be cured with that person's organs should the doctor quietly chloroform that person murder them and take out all their organs in order that the other five survive. And you've just told me, Gareth, one person, five. It's easy. You are going to take that person, chloroform the hell out of them, and you are going to cut their bodies up, aren't you? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you can't see this. So I'm looking at Gareth. Incredibly and difficult. So no. So why um, and and of and by the way, just you know, yeah. I've known Gareth for a while now. He does not murder people in hospitals. I want to make that very very clear for the subsequent police inquiry. He does not murder there. Well, at least there is no evidence he murders people yeah. in hospitals. So what's different? What's different for you about this? It's a great question that explores a huge amount about psychology, but I would say. The mechanical nature of the trolley problem in that they're going to die in the same way. So the choice is go oh, left, very, yeah. go left, kill yeah. one person, go right, kill five people. And if you, if you twisted it slightly and said you had to pull the lever, then you would clearly go with the, the smaller number. The yeah. difficulty is, of course, that you could do nothing. But to me, that is effectively making, I see that as making a decision. So I see that as not pulling the lever is just as much a an act as, as pulling the lever. And I, I think if you're going to argue that 
pulling the lever, physically doing something, is the moral line that you've crossed. I would say actually being there, making the decision, having the conscious thought about it is the moral line. The surgeon in a hospital discussion, you're not making a single binary choice of left or right. You're having to go through several stages of deciding to kill somebody, killing somebody to then save others. So you haven't been put thrust into this situation where there is a dying body on one hospital bed and five dying bodies on another five hospital beds over here somewhere, and you're the surgeon who has to decide who to save. You've been told this person's up and alive and living and healthy, and you've got to kill them. So for me, that's a very, very different question and and i'm i'm it's funny i'm watching gareth and he's got a slightly pained look on his face which is this this went all too serious all too quickly i maybe maybe you'd not heard that specific one before but it's really interesting it is hard it is hard and there is something the two of these save one uh, sorry save five and by killing one that's fine when you talk about trolleys but the idea that you you're looking at people who walk in the door and say, you're not anywhere near a trolley car. You're an innocent and I'm going to murder you because I'm going to decide who lives yeah. and dies. There's a lot that goes on there. Let's, let's, let's touch one more of these before we run away. And before we display that we're psychopaths or sociopaths or whatever it might be. Here's another one, which is the going back to the original trolley car thing. So it started that we had a lever and you can pull a lever. The next one is, as before, the trolley is hurtling down a track towards five people who are tied up. Again, we really need to find out who is tying people to to tracks. They seem like the people we should be looking out for rather than anyone else. You're on a bridge. And the bridge is uh, over the track where the trolley is going to come in a second. It's going to pass underneath you. And you know what? You can stop that trolley. You can save those five people, but you need something really big and heavy. Now, Gareth, I would sacrifice myself, but I'm just a skinny waif of a man. Gee, that's not technically true. I think we're going to have to swap this around. Gareth, you're standing on the bridge and I'm in front of you. And you think, do you know what? I reckon I couldn't stop the train if I jumped out. But Chris... He's a big lad. He'll stop the train. Do you push me off the bridge in front of the trolley? You can push me. You push me. Trolley stops. Crunch on me. I mean, I'm not going to make it. I'm I'm not as soon as I used to be. Tell my family I love them, but you're going to save the five. Gareth, and I'm I'm going to, I know I'm going to regret saying this. Do you push me off the bridge to save the five people? No. That's interesting. Why not? Once you make the decision to actively put somebody in harm's way. You are murdering me to save the five people, which is not the same as I am pulling a lever. No. And I've saved five people, but as a result, one will die. One is active. Yeah. And one is a result. Absolutely. And that is a line that I won't cross. Having said that, you could put me in a situation where 
I could have the power of life and death over individuals and choose to sacrifice one to save five, but in a different context. And I'm straight away thinking back to military operations. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, taking us back to that truck, I mean, it was – it. My son obviously is is smarter than me because it was a facetious question, but it was one that was based on a really interesting thought. I would be pretty willing to bet at some point in some place someone has had to make that decision. Yeah. Do, do I do I sacrifice these people in order to achieve the mission? And then you get into all sorts of tricky things of well, how important is the mission? Is is this really the only answer? And I, as you, as we were talking about examples and and you know we we touched and ran away from what's going on in the middle east at the moment but uh, osama bin laden when they attacked him in abbottabad my understanding is to a significant degree they had these kinds of conversations which is well what about if there are people who are innocent who are there what if it's not even osama bin laden you know if we raid osama bin laden's house that's in Pakistan, the Pakistanis might retaliate and do something different. So it's a question I choose not to answer because there are too many variables in the in the simplistic exercise. But it is one that I think whether whether it's driving your truck into the sea to save a family or whether it's some of these other dilemmas of whether we work at the weekend or not or where we invest our money or who we hire, yeah, these are quite the the dilemmas for a reason. Yeah, that they are, and you're you're right to to be cautious about you know going back to discussing what's happening in the Middle East at the moment. And I think the reason for that is, firstly, it's an incredibly emotive subject because we are talking about people's lives. Mm. We're talking about decisions that individuals and organisations are making that do result in harm. We're talking about complex issues that are wrapped up and steeped in history and politics and information and misinformation and rhetoric and logic and moral hazard. But when you strip it back and you get to the moral decisions, the the, the ethical dilemmas of valuing lives, it's incredibly difficult and it's incredibly subjective. So some people will have answered the pushing you off a bridge to save the five people in a very different way. And they would have said, I'm absolutely maybe not comfortable with that, but I would do that because it's in the greater interest of humanity to save five lives over one. And and I don't mind taking the active step. And you know, people, people's, moral judgments are different they're subjective ethical frameworks are externalities uh, and that's where these two things rub up against each other i think what's important is to recognize that is to recognize that people view things differently and so where there is a dilemma not only do we need to know who's making these decisions and they need to be supported perhaps by taking that decision away from them, especially if you're in a leadership position, taking that difficult decision on behalf of others is an act of leadership. 
Um, perhaps by giving them more information, giving them more context, making the decision easier for them to justify and make. Um, or perhaps by recognising that it is going to have a fatiguing and degradative effect mm. on, on them as a person. So if you put people in positions where they make difficult decisions day in, day out, you need to recognise that. And that, I think, brings me back to this point that I do want to sort of finish on, which is we talked about a test of integrity being you know what the right or wrong answer is. Objectively, it's there. Do you do you fiddle the expenses because you know you can get away with it and you'll get an extra 20 quid or whatever, or do you do the right thing and don't fiddle the expenses? Well, if no one's going to find out and you have a slightly wayward moral compass, then you might be tempted to do that. But objectively, there is a right and wrong answer. So that's a test of integrity. When we start to talk about things like whistleblowers, and we've talked about loyal dissent before, we've talked about pushing against the groupthink, being the radical thinker, challenging people in positions of authority. And we've always talked about these things as being really positive. So whistleblowers, people that highlight critical failures in organisations, perhaps moral drift. We talked, we did a whole episode with Waitman on why organisations do bad things. You know, perhaps they're witnessing moral drift. Perhaps they're seeing bad behaviours that he might end up with somebody getting hurt. Perhaps they're um, they're seeing abuses of power. They are probably going to be in a position where they have to break rules in order to be a whistleblower because they have to break out of the organisation to get information to to those that will listen. And often that results in, you know, if you think about the most famous cases, people taking information that is privileged to the press because it needs to be published before anyone takes it seriously. That's that's fraught with moral hazard because what if they're wrong? And there's there's a case in, in Australia right now where there was a lawyer within the Australian military who thought that investigations into potential war crimes were going too far and were becoming vindictive and were breaching the the sanctity of Australian Special Forces operations. As it turned out, those war crime investigations did find evidence of war crimes and people were then subsequently held to account. He breached the official secret act in Australia and took that to the press and was wrong. So there's a real moral dilemma there in terms of he did something illegal, he did something wrong, and he did it for the right reasons, but was wrong, versus the very similar cases of whistleblowers who have breached government secrecy and privacy rules because, and they were found to be right, they thought that yeah. people were abusing power or, or whatever it is. And I think, certainly in my previous role in the military, that was always a challenge. So we talked about you know, throwing dilemmas at the enemy. We've talked about the, the very difficult moral dilemmas of collateral damage and making decisions about putting people in harm's way. But, it, but in a world where people are protected by secrets, but also people can be abused by secrets. 
there's a whole world of dilemma in there. And I think this is where, it, once again, we find the military and the business world starting to collide because we now live in a world where information has so much power. I don't think I can add anything more onto that. But I have two final points that I want to make. First of all, if Will is listening to this, this is my son. Don't ask some bloody stupid questions of your dad. Show some Good respect point. for your elders. And why aren't you doing your homework? And if my wife is listening, I love you and the rest of the family loads. And I'm sorry, I'll be down as soon as I finish this recording. On that note, I think that's probably enough for dilemmas. I feel distinctly uncomfortable with this one because I'm not sure we've solved dilemmas. I think I just feel worse about the dilemmas. I think we've just revealed more dilemmas than we realized we had. Uh, but I shall go think about that and maybe if it a... makes you feel any better, Chris, if we had solved dilemmas, we probably weren't talking about dilemmas. And therefore, we would have failed at this episode. So look, I'm look quite at this ontological discussion that we have found ourselves <laughs> in. <laughs> I am quite comfortable with the fact we haven't solved dilemmas, and they are difficult, and they are uncomfortable, and they are sometimes upsetting, and that's that's okay. What I do think is important, though, is and we've sort of danced around some pretty sensitive topics, is when assessing dilemmas you have to recognize the duality of situation people can do bad things and not necessarily be bad people yeah bad people can do good things and that doesn't necessarily make them good people and on both sides of a conflict both sides are pushed into uh, positions where they are faced with the worst kind of moral dilemmas and that's probably all I'm going to say on that. Yeah, I, I, well done. But you know what? I'll tell you what isn't a dilemma, Gareth. And you're going to like this. See how I smoothly weave this in. In the edit, you'll 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 leave this out, but it'll be great. What's not a dilemma is if you liked this, make sure you subscribe to the other episodes of the podcast. And if you like this, tell your friends and say there's two idiots that talk on a regular basis often with much better guests who talk about more interesting things and you should subscribe i believe leaving a review where you get your podcasts on places like apple podcasts is also a very good thing to help us uh, find new people who we can draw into our nonsense and our discussions uh, we are on Battling with Biz with a Z on the platform previously known as X. And for people of a certain age, myself included, we can also be contacted via email on battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com. And on that dilemma, I will leave you and say thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Wonderful. You've been listening to Battling with Business. Thank you very much. Cheerio. 